You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, this is Paul Lazarus. In the 1980s, I produced and hosted a radio series called Anything Goes, a celebration of the American musical theater. Now the Broadway Podcast Network is bringing back these shows. This is the first of a two-part program featuring the composer of Bye Bye Birdie and Annie, Charles Strauss. In January of 1982, Strauss came to my apartment in Manhattan and discussed everything from his collaboration with lyricist Lee Adams to working with Dick Van Dyke. In olden days, a glimpse of stocking was looked on as something shocking, but now God knows anything goes. Good Good afternoon. The theme music to The Night They Braided Minsky's is an appropriate introduction to today's edition of Anything Goes, the first part of a three-hour look at the career of composer Charles Strauss, whose many shows include Bye Bye Birdie, Golden Boy, and All-American. Today we'll focus on Strauss's early years, writing jazzy piano pieces for his family, contributing songs to the now-famous Green Mansion reviews, his first big hit with lyricist Lee Adams' Bye Bye Birdie, up through his score in 1968 for William Friedkin's film The Night They Raided Minsky's. I'm Paul Lazarus. Join Anything Goes for the next hour and a half with guest, composer Charles Strauss. Charles, I just thought I'd start out with background and your early training. You were born in New York City. Did you uh, grow up in New York? York. Yes. Born, raised, bred, unbred in New York. Yes. Went to uh, PS 87 and uh, then I went to uh, high school, uh, Townsend Harris uh, High School, which was uh, then stopped uh, because of budget problems by the city. But I'm a you were a Depression baby because you were born right around. Well, I was born around that time, yeah. yeah. Uh, but um, I'm proud of the fact that I'm a New Yorker, and I, I've always loved the city, and I've always uh, uh, tried to write something about it. <laughs> well, you paid tribute to it many, many times. Was your family involved with music or theater at all? No, except my mother was uh, a uh, a good 
musical amateur pianist, loved the pop music of the times, and uh, I know that's where it all stems from, my mother and my uh, closeness she, to her. Did she teach you in the beginning? or No. Uh, I found out that it's impossible to teach your own children, and uh, I didn't know that then, but she, she never even bothered. I tried with my own kids now, and uh, forget it. <laughs> it just doesn't work. Uh-huh, uh-huh. What was your earliest uh, musical training? Uh, the earliest musical training I had was from a uh, uh, pianist who lives in uh, Brooklyn today. His name was Abraham Sokolov. And uh, he, he taught me a kind of popular method, which in a, in a way was both good, that is, it induced me into music, and bad in the sense that uh, there was a lot of theory and harmony left unsaid. And uh, my first serious training came at the age of 15 when I went to the Eastman School of Music. And there I started from scratch as far as classical music was concerned. And that became my overriding uh, ambition to become a composer, a serious composer. Many of the excerpts you'll be hearing today are from An Evening at the 92nd Street Y, the Lyricists and Lyrics series, uh, and I'm grateful to Maurice Levine for granting permission to use these segments. You'll next hear lyricists Lee Adams and Martin Charnin talking about composer Charles Strauss. Charles was trained at the Eastman School of Music and had no interest in pop music at all. His parents were very proud of him, and when he came home for vacation, they'd naturally ask him to play something for them. And perhaps his Aunt Stella, who was hard of hearing, or, or anyone who'd come over to the house, they could show him off to. The trouble was, after a couple of semesters, he couldn't help but notice that their responses to his piano sonata, or the slow movement of his string quartet, were merely polite. That is, except for Aunt Stella, who applauded at everything, because she couldn't hear. So I wrote what I called party pieces, ones my parents might enjoy and make them prouder in front of friends. I'll play one for you now. It's called Ditto. Thank you. 
What was the first musical you ever saw? The first musical I ever saw was Danny Kaye in... Uh, Let's Face It? Let's Face It, yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I had With a, uh, 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 Farming was in it. Right, right, that was that Cole Porter musical. Yeah, Let's why that talk. was, I don't know, but it was. 1941, I think, or yeah. something like that. That's amazing. That's a really nice Cole Porter score, yeah. really. That's not very well known. Yeah. What kind of impression did it make on you? I don't remember. I always, I, well, I do remember one thing, although not specifically about that show, but because of my age, the fact that I was always a little bit younger than the things I was doing, because I graduated from, uh, from college quite young and high school. Uh, one of the things that always stayed with me about musicals was that they're very sexy. They're very glamorous. They're very bright and, and uh, dazzling and, and, uh, and fast-paced. And uh, I was always glamorized by them. Uh -huh. uh, and I think that stayed with me. In other words, I, I think I'm years behind or ahead of, well, I say behind in, in, in a certain way, a lot of people who, who think of the musical as a very serious form. Although, as you know, I've tried to do serious musicals. Surely. Uh, a part of me is, is uh, in love with the, the jazz part of musicals. Not that it can't be... Glitter and be uh, gay. So. Yes, but it, it, it's, uh, that's what musicals represented to me. I've always, I've always uh, uh, gyrated towards that. Take ten terrific girls But only nine costumes And you're cooking up something grand Mix in some amber lights and elegant scenery, then stir in a fine jazz band. Then add some funny men and pepper with laughter. It's tart and tasty, I know. Then serve it piping hot and I met Lee about this time, 1949, and we heard about a place called Green Mansions where we could try out. Here's a typical review piece written at that time, and it shows a lot about Lee's thoughts. But more important, it shows the kind of writing that reviews forced us all into. There was no scenery as such, no play to fill in characterization. We simply had to invent numbers in one, in one being that part of the stage in front of the show curtain, where the songs and the singers were it, the whole entertainment. And we needed variety in the groupings, too. A trio, a duet, a solo for the sabrette, or a production number. There were people like Dick Sean or Carol Burnett or Dodd Adams to service, so we had to put out. Here's a typical trio. Three disgruntled mothers. Tonight at the Y, history is being made for two of my close friends, both lyricists and both friends to each other, have graciously agreed to be here to help me. But then again, lyricists have always helped me. So now, Lee Adams and Martin Charnin will sing Those Mothers. <laughs> of the three mothers, two are quite distraught because their sons have chosen a horrible career rather than becoming the solid citizens their fathers are. The third mother, Martin, is quite smug. 
Thomas could have been a doctor or a lawyer. Mike Coleman could have been a rabbi or employer. But, but no, they chose a sin much worse than sex or gin. And worst of all, they broke their poor mother's hearts. By going in. By going in. By going in. For, for the, the arts. arts. The arts. The arts. Oh, poor us, poor us. It serves you right. <laughs> the arts, the arts, they've taken up the arts. Instead of getting decent, steady, steady jobs. They waste their days on music books and plays. In other words, your sons are lazy slobs. My Coleman should be working in the store. He should be clerking, but he won't because he's lazy. He's just driving Morris crazy. And what is most distressing is with music he is messing. If you heard what he composes, you would hold your ears and noses. Oh, the shame, the shame. Coleman wants to be yeah, a composer. The arts, the arts, he's taken up the arts. Your Coleman has turned out to be a jerk. Oh, Mrs. Porter, poor Mrs. Porter, your Cole will have such trouble finding work. Night and day. My Thomas had good breeding, but some book he's always reading. I'm afraid he'll be a scholar, and he'll never have a dollar. And now he's gone to Britain by the writing bug he's bitten. And imagine curse of curses, he writes filthy modern verses. Poetry, the, the arts, the arts, the lowest of the arts. Her Tommy ran away to write such rot. Tommy rot. Poor Mrs. Elliot, T.S. Mrs. Elliot. Better Tommy should be taken out and shot. <laughs> well, girls, I hate a bragging mother, but I can't be any other. My son Charles has been a model son since first he tried to toddle. He's not a bit artistic, but he's smart and realistic. He is generous, sweet, and healthy. And he's very, very wealthy. The arts, the arts, he isn't in the arts. Your Charlie has turned out so perfectly. Oh, Mrs. Luciano. Lucky Mrs. Luciano. My son is just what every son should be. But Cole and Er Thomas broke their mother's hearts by taking up, by taking up, by taking up the Charles Strauss, Lee Adams, and Martin Charnin in 1978 at the YMHA on 92nd Street as part of the Lyricists and Lyrics series. Performing the Arts, a song first written by Charles Strauss and Lee Adams for the Green Mansion Reviews and then picked up by producer Ben Bagley for his Shoestring Review of 1957. This is Anything Goes with Paul Lazarus and a look at the career 
of composer Charles Strauss. big show in 1960, Bye Bye Birdie, and uh, which really launched your career. This is, I'm just curious about the evolution of that show, because I know nothing about it. Whose idea was to do this? And Well, the, the idea to do a show based on teenagers was Ed Padula's idea. Ed Padula was the, uh, the father of us all, uh, and uh, <laughs> Ed, Ed came to Lee and me first, because he had heard some of our material in the Shoestring Review you were talking about before. And uh, he said that he had this idea, and uh, we, we thought not only it was a good idea, but we thought nobody else has ever asked us to do a Broadway show. It turned out he had never done a Broadway show. That's always the fun of it. Uh, it was his first. And uh, he had optioned an absolutely charming book by a man by the name of Warren Miller uh, about about a teenager who wanted a girl, a little girl who wanted to lose her virginity and spent the summer trying to do it and couldn't do it. Uh, everything got in her way. And it was a wonderful book, very funny. And Warren and somebody else, whose name I can't remember, unfortunately, wrote a book that I thought was quite charming. And we wrote for that about 30 songs and got it down to around 20. And for a reason I don't understand, but it's just the nature of Broadway. Nobody bought it. Nobody bought the book. But during the auditions, out of these 20-odd songs which we played, uh, people always responded very well to a couple of them. Uh, one of them was uh, a song about kids on the telephone. They always liked that. And why we wrote it in that book, I don't remember. It was, And then... Obviously, that became the telephone now. Yes. Oh, there were a few songs that, that stayed. Uh -huh. uh, because of the vagaries of the business... Padula could not get it produced with Warren's work. And very sadly, he, we, went along with, you know, what the producer wanted to do, tried to get some other book writers. And we did get three or four different ones, including Elaine May and Mike Nichols. Huh. And then finally, we brought in Mike, who... Uh, this is Michael uh, Stewart. Yeah, who, was, uh, who had been at Green Mansions. And it was, it was really a, a, a bit of desperate pleading on our part because nobody wanted him, really, and he had done nothing at that point in his life. And uh, Padula agreed to him trying it. Uh, it, it. Mike wanted to write, since uh, Mike and Elaine were very hot as performers, they were just starting, Mike wanted to write a show for Elaine... Mike Stewart wanted to write a show for Elaine... May and Mike Nichols, oh. which is where the Rosie and Albert characters came from. It was, ah. a, it was like an extended sketch for Mike and Elaine, and it was amusing, but it was not a play. And then Lee Adams had the idea to make it about the rock and roll singer. It was Lee's idea to do that. And uh, You say the rock and roll singer. Was it not Elvis Presley? Or did that yes. came later? Yeah, no, it was, it was Presley. And that idea uh, came from, in part, uh, wanting to do a show for Dick Sean. Lee and I had written a, a rock and roll number for Dick Sean, which he just did wonderfully, a takeoff on Elvis. In fact, it was called Elvis. And uh, so it all kind of came together in a weird way.
tell me quick about Hugo and Kim. Hi, Margie. Hi, Alice. What's the story? Not a glory. What's the word? Hummingbird. Have you heard about Hugo and Kim? Did, Did they, they really get pinned? Did she kiss them and cry? Did he pin the pin on? Or was he too shy? Well, I heard they got pinned. Harvey Johnson, can I speak to Penelope? Yeah. Me too about Kim. Penelope? I just knew it somehow. About the drum. I must call her right up. Saturday? I can't talk to you now. out of town to buy by birdie it was a smash right away where was it in the philadelphia at the schubert theater yeah uh and it being your first show it was unbelievable is not the word it was it was uh it it was a numbing kind of thing it's as though somebody just called you today the phone that rang before somebody said you've just won five million dollars you'd say well thank you very much and you'd put down the phone and you'd say what is five million i'm not going to leave this apartment i'm I'm not going to change my life or anything Uh, no it's it 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 was it was uh it was abstract is it true that you actually fainted when you heard brooks askinson's review i did i've uh i did that's quite a true story that's well i can understand it i one waits well the 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 numbness the uh of knowing finally that you had a hit a big hit and not really believing it see but a, a part of you your stomach kind of uh accepting it last of all your head started to say gee everybody says it's a big hit show should run forever very funny smash Hollywood movie, and then we came to New York, and the first review we saw was a bad one. Yeah, his was really one of the only bad ones. It was the only bad one we ever received in this country, He actually. said, it is neither fish nor fowl nor musical comedy. Right? Yeah. 
Uh, he did not like it, and uh, to his credit, he resigned right afterwards because he himself said it. He just didn't know what he was talking about. Now my life is rosy since I found my rosy with a girl like Rosie. How could I be blue? Hand in hand we'll mosey. Me and little Rosie, we will be so cozy by a fire built for two. Oh, I once heard a poem that goes, a rose is a rose is a rose. Well, I don't agree, take it from me. There's one rose sweeter than any that grows, and that's my Rosie. I'm so glad she chose me. What had Dick Van Dyke done before Birdie? Well, nothing really of any... I mean, he was in a show where I met him. I was the uh, vocal arranger and, and uh, pianist on a show called The Girls Against the Boys by uh, Richard Lewin and Arnold Horwitz, uh-huh. and uh, was with Bert Lahr and Nancy Walker, and Dick had a very minor role in it. Uh, by the way, so did Martin Charn, and that's where I met Martin also. In The Girls Against the Boys? In The Girls Against the Boys. He was a, almost a gypsy, although he, he, he says I was a featured actor in it. I mean, my recollection is what he, was <laughs> he was a gypsy in it. But in any case, uh, Dick and I uh, used to go out after the show, and I said, gee, we... we Lee Adams and I are writing this show and I think there's a terrific part in it for you. He said, I'd like to see it someday. You know, when we all grow up, it was that kind of thing. And then when we finally got the show on, uh, nobody would give, including myself, I got to admit in all honesty, nobody would give Dick the part. Um, Uh, Because he just wasn't a big name. He wasn't a big name. We felt, I mean, Charles Strauss and Lee Adams and even Gower, Gower Champion, I mean, he, you know, directed a couple of nightclub reviews. And so we were looking for somebody big, but, a, you know, like a Dick Van Dyke type. And it was really through the pressures and the loyalty of his then agent, Richard Seff, that Van Dyke, he said, you got to see him. You wanted him in the first place. I mean, I knew Richard well. And Richard insisted. And finally we said, well, gee, Jack Lemmon isn't going to do it. And so-and-so isn't going to do it. And, so, and Larry Blyden, by this time, was out of the picture. Larry was a much bigger star, in a way. Right. So uh, we finally agreed to see the man I had spoken to originally about it, but didn't have the guts to follow through on. Gray skies are gonna clear up, but on a happy face. Brush off the clouds and cheer up, put on a happy face. Take off the gloomy mask of tragedy, it's not your style. You look so good that you'll be glad you decided to smile Pick out a pleasant outlook, stick out that noble chin Wipe off that full of doubt look, slap on a happy grin And spread sunshine all over the place Just put on a happy face Put on a happy face Put on a happy face And if you're feeling cross and bickerish Don't sit and whine Think of banana splits and licorice And you feel fine I knew a girl so gloomy 
she'd never laugh or sing She wouldn't listen to me Now she's a mean old thing So spread sunshine all over the place Just put on a happy face Michael J. Pollard was in that show playing yeah. Hugo. Did he? Does he sing well? I didn't. No, and uh, that was. Uh, uh, I was sitting in a restaurant with Gower, and Michael J. Pollard walked by, and Gower said, "That's the kid who was in, I think it was called The Loss of Roses." He said, "I loved him," and I said, "He was terrific." I said, "I wonder whether he sings," and I. He said, "I don't even know his name." So I followed him into the men's room, and we were both standing by the urinal, and. Uh, I said to him, a bad opening line, if ever there was one, I said, I have a show. <laughs> and he looked at me just the way you're looking at me now and uh, edged away a little bit. And uh, I, I, I said, you know, I said, look, I, I, don't, know, I don't know your name. I saw you in, uh, in the play. And uh, do you sing? By this time, I guess he figured I was legitimate, but certainly no way to approach an actor. That's funny. Uh, and he said, oh, he said, yeah, I sing well. I said, well, who do you sound like? He said, well, he says, I kind of sing like Sinatra. I said, gee, that's great. And I took his name and his age. And anyway, we called him into audition. And uh, he couldn't sing a note. <laughs> couldn't sing a, not one note. But we liked him so much that we took out a song. He was supposed to have a song on the show. We took it out. What was that song called? Uh, I can't remember. I, don't, I just don't remember what it was. Uh, yeah, I was, wondering, I was always wondering why Hugo never... Never sang a song. That's right. Yeah. It's because Michael J. Pollard Michael played J. But we liked him so much. And he gave a certain... Uh, nuttiness to the uh, madness to the to the play. Uh, that that was why it worked. If 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 uh, if you did it legitimately, without a Paul Lind or a Michael J. Pollard, I think we would have uh, not succeeded. Wouldn't have been nearly as interesting. There, no. by the way, was Gower's genius. He was a wonderful caster. He 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 could think up uh, casting ideas, and all of the casting ideas were his, as as I recall. Uh, that that kept you off balance. Me on the Ed Sullivan show? Ed Sullivan. Me, Harry McAfee, appearing with Ed Sullivan. Ed, Ed Sullivan.
the late Paul Lind in Bye Bye Birdie singing a song from the score, Hymn for a Sunday Evening, a score by lyricist Lee Adams and my guest today on Anything Goes, composer Charles Strauss. You've been listening to Charles Strauss Part 1, the first of a two-part series. Associate producer Jeff London. Anything Goes Backstage with Broadway's Best is produced and hosted by Paul Lazarus. For more information, visit anythinggoespl.com. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate and follow us. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.